Welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Another fantastic day for an interview. Yes. And today is a good day because I've got Gina Wolkowski with me. Gina is a woman who, like me, has gone through, through a lot of darkness in her life and is now on a path to to make sense of that suffering and to share her experience with others so that maybe they don't have to go through through a long period of darkness but actually start to heal by actually talking about those 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 hard times in one's life and Gina I'm so grateful to have you on my show thank you so much oh. for coming <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Stefan. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Ah, oh, it's an honor. Oh, Gina, when you were a young girl, what did you want to be when you oh, grew gosh. up? <laughs> you know what I really wanted to be? I wanted to be the president. And, I, you know, yes, I did. And I and I really thought, like, and it's so funny. I look back now. Why did I want to be the president? Because I really thought, like, the president had all the power to, like, change everything. Oh. And I just thought, oh, if I could be the president, then I could make the world, you know, I guess I could make my parents different. I could make the world different. And I just thought, well, I'm just going to be the president. That's how I'm going to make a difference. Excellent. So at the number, you know, now, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. No. No, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. No. Um, and that's a, and that's a shame, isn't it? Yeah. You have got yeah. about 320 million people in the United States and it comes down to two. And these two are those two? You're kidding me. Yeah. Um, so I no. know. <laughs> so no, the, the question then, but having said that, that already gives away so much because we are talking about a childhood that that you would have not liked to have chosen uh, no, in the past. absolutely not. Yet so many of us who, who do experience trauma in childhood become very uh, controlling. We mm -hmm. want to control everything in our life. And already for you at that stage in your life to say, hey, I want to be the president so I yeah. can control everything. Well, if there's not a giveaway. Oh, God, I know. Yes, it, yeah, I look back on that now and it's like, wow. <laughs> you could determine children's future based on what they want to be or what their childhood is like, asking them what they want to be when they grow up, right? Exactly. Oh. And things probably did not turn out like that. I didn't have to go through layers of secret service agents to get to you. So maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so this was probably a good thing. So maybe. Yeah, so it didn't work out. I would just. Mm -mm. Uh, yeah, darn it. Maybe I mean each story is unique, and each story of trauma in the childhood is unique. Though it it has so many, so many similarities. What was your story? How does your story start? Well, it's, the funny thing about my story is that I didn't remember my story until I was in my forties. Mm. <laughs> um, I didn't. I but when I started having flashbacks. I started having flashbacks when I, I was being sexually abused growing up. And I mean, I always had, you know, when I, when I go back and look at my childhood, you know, at six years old, I was in and out of the hospital with stomach aches and, you know, and pains in my stomach. And, you know, the doctor said, she's just making this, she just wants attention, um, you know? And so like at six years old, I'm being gaslit, you know, and, and, and told, you know, you're making stories and all this stuff. Um, and then when I was 14, I actually started having seizures and um, they were, Initially, 
I was treated as epileptic seizures, but looking back now, I realized they were most likely dissociative. You know, my body was keeping the score and just, I was dissociating. So I went, I had years and years of, of, um, seizures. I had like 20 some years of having seizures, um, from like the time I was 14 to like 30 something. Was that right? Yeah. So I don't even, it seems like yesterday, but at any rate, I mean, growing up for me, was you know I don't remember a lot of like I know where I lived I know where I went to school but like I don't there's so much of it that I don't really remember because when you are a sexual abuse survivor your body thank god has a tendency to like shut it down so I had dissociative amnesia for years but growing up it was that I do remember you know it, there was no um emotional safety there was no talking about feelings you know it was all put on the you know, and make it, you know, everybody to look good, play the part, you know, um, the perfect family, you know, my parents volunteered, but, you know, my mother was like a closet alcoholic, you know, um, and I didn't even realize that she was an alcoholic until I went and recovering myself and started learning what women and alcoholism and all that. I thought, oh my God, my mother was an alcoholic, mm-hmm. right? So there was, you know, there was not, there was not a lot of space for, anything other than keeping the secret of what was really going on in that house. So it was um, very lonely, very empty, um, scary, frightening, just pretty darn awful. When you look back, when did that all start? You know, I would probably say... You know, the, the funny thing is, is this, gosh, this was years ago before I started having flashbacks. I remembered this, this, the time I was like in the tub with my father when I was like four and I have a twin sister and I remember my mother like freaking out and like, that's not appropriate now that I like, you know, you don't get naked in the tub with your four-year-old daughter. Like that's weird. Um, and so I think it really started very early on for me, you know, being, being very, very young. It's interesting that you quote this dissociative amnesia. Mm-hmm. Dissociation means that your body wants to beam itself to another place. Right. Your mind basically uh, does an ostrich and it does really put the head in the sense that nope, that actually yeah. has never yeah. occurred. And it puts a veil of 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 lack of memory over it, like a, a, a like a veil of secrecy, so to speak, because it says actually you you're going for such a hard time maybe it's you too don't much. need that's right it's too much if you yeah. really remember every single every single fact then you burn up. i mean you burn up you you explode boom um, yeah. and this is something that actually a lot of survivors do go through and a lot of people do go through oh yeah it's it's not it's it's not even a like it's not a it's a it's a really grateful thing, you know, very helpful thing that the body does to protect us, you know. And then the thing is, is when I didn't remember, I, you know, then you start thinking you're crazy, you know, and that's the whole, you know, I must be crazy. I'm a loser, you know, and the shame and all. Um, and so it's a challenge because it's protecting you. And yet everything else in my life was indicating that something wasn't right. And the only thing I could it, it could, you know, take from that and, and assume was that it must be me, especially as a child, because as a child, you don't have internal language to your eight. And so everything that happens around you, you internalize and becomes like yourself, so to speak. And so it was just that 
I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm crazy. I can't trust myself. Like it, it's, it's, it's such a horrible way to live, especially as a child. How were your grades at school? How did you? Well, believe it or not, I'm, I had pretty good grades in school. You know, I think there was this, um, that I have, I think that my, my body, my adrenaline, just like, cause I was, I was a rule follower, you know, I mean, I didn't want, you know, I, I got my homework done. I did well. I, you know, when I got to high school, I went to an all girl Catholic high school. And I really do think it was a very, very small school. Mm. And I do think that, um, that was actually very helpful for me because the first high school I went to was, um, you know, co-ed and it was a lot more people and, and it was just so much for me. And that's actually where I had my first seizure. Uh -huh. Um, so I think that as I got older, it became more and more difficult for my body, to, you know, to not. So, um, you know, high school was, it was a bit of a challenge, but, but my grades were always really good. I mean, I felt disappointed mm. if I got a B. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, you know, so I always did that. I, you know, it's kind of funny that, you know, because lots of times you think, you know, you just slack off. But I think the fear of, you know, the the the, the um, desire to, like, make my parents proud, make them happy. Like, if I get an A and I'm a great student, will you love me? You know what I mean? Kind of thing. Yeah. And it didn't seem to really matter. Mm. Well, there is that argument there. The other argument is to actually see the joy in the eyes of the teacher when he hands to you, A, that was an A or an right. A minus. And right. that that appreciation, that that feeling of, yes, uh, you know, at a very early stage, that feeling of, Oh, it's a beautiful feeling. I, I don't it's want to accomplishment. Put it. Oh, it's proud. You know, yeah, I, exactly. I, it's like, oh, like, um, you know, I'm, there's a part of me that's actually okay, you know, and I'm really doing well at this. But um, mm. I, yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny when you think about it. But uh. My grades were pretty good. Oh, it's a, yeah, same here. Whilst I did not have the the the, the sexual abuse or the the the, the really nasty physical abuse. I don't right. think I had a great childhood. And um, right. for me, once I, I discovered the the power and the joy of actually getting good grades, then uh, it was like an addiction at that stage. And it yeah, was yeah. like you said, <laughs> I was querying every single every single minus or anything. Oh, I mean, I, yeah, I, I could, yeah. Oh, my God. Was, a minus was like a, anything with a minus on it was just like, eh, oh, you, know, that's right. you know, I got an A like, I mean, oh, yeah. exactly. Oh, dear. And, and, and but that is us. That is that is that is when when your childhood is not not so so crazy. Right. You you show these kind of habits, this kind of yeah. of, of traits, shall I say? So mm -hmm. and that that is normal. That is your brain uh, searching for that 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 security, that control, that all that. Um, and I mean that that works for a bit. So here you were, you were at school <laughs> and and getting a little, uh, getting getting really good grades, etc. But then these these bloody hormones come along uh, for boys yeah. and for girls. So how were yeah. your teenager years? How did that play out? Um, you know, I like I, I mean, I really like I said before, I think because I went to an all girl Catholic school, I didn't have to deal with like, you know, boys that much. Right. Um, and it was I guess it was. Um, 
gosh, I was in junior, I guess I was a junior, late junior or senior when I really like had like my first kind of like boyfriend. I don't know, like, you know, and he um, and I ended up getting pregnant at 19. Oh, yeah, I was I was uh, it was actually right after I had brain surgery. So um, it was. Yeah. So I think that. And and I do think like when I was this was like during the time of school, but like over the summer, you know, when I when I we used to have a house down at the shore in um, Wildwood Crest, New Jersey. So we would we would I spent the summers down there, but there were times when I mean all I wanted as a teenage girl was like a boy to pay attention to, you know, and 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 it's like any attention was better than no attention, and so there were you know things that I did that I wish I hadn't done. But I look back now, and I actually have a lot of compassion for myself because. You know, I was trying to get my needs met. You know what I mean? I needed to feel loved. I needed to feel safe and connected. And so I did what all, all that I knew. And it's funny because you would think of oh, being sexually abused, you wouldn't want to, you know, move into that, like that kind of arena, so to speak, as a teenager. But what happens is, you know, you become hypersexual or hypo where you don't do anything. But, you know, I was just like, I'd make out with anybody who paid attention to me. I wanted a boyfriend so bad. I just wanted somebody to love me. And so it, you know, that definitely became something that was a challenge because it, I would just anybody and anybody pretty much. Alcohol. How did that come in? I didn't, you know, I never, it's funny. I, I got, I was actually pretty scared of alcohol. Hmm. My, my biggest addiction was the drugs that I got addicted to as I was, um, as I got a little older, the doctors started putting me like when I started having seizures, they tried all sorts of stuff, but eventually I guess I was in my twenties when they started putting me on things like, um, you know, Ambien and Clonopin and Xanax and, and, um, you know, and then I was in a car accident in my like early thirties and they put me on Percocet and Oxycodone. Um, and so I never was a big drinker, but I sure took the pills. So I ended up majorly addicted to, you know, any drug out there. And I, I assumed the doctors knew what they were doing. So I just took them and obviously it didn't get, to, it wasn't enough, you know, one, two Xanax, higher doses of Xanax didn't help, you know? So it was like, I just started kind of mixing the drugs and it didn't really take the edge off and, I called my doctor and I said, um, you know, I think I might have a problem because I, I, I took 14, I took 17 Percocet when I tried to kill myself in 2003. Uh, so drug alcohol was not a big, big issue for me because it kind of scared me, but yeah. So as a child, as, as an adult, young adult, I never got into like parties and things like that. Scared me too much. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Isn't it yeah. the paradox in there? You oh, would yeah. do anything to get love. You would anything to be the, when I say center of attention, that's wrong. It is more the, the, the need to feel well, need a safe connection. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I need connection. And so I, exactly. I don't know. I'll so do you, what I need to. you, you go for, for any kind of risk there 
yet there is this hesitation to alcohol, but the same pressure is still there, the anxiety is still there, the the pain mm-hmm. is still there. And yeah. guess what? These these painkillers, they are really good in dealing with a broken bone. Mm-hmm. And they are also really good when it comes to dealing with a broken soul, because again, you can suddenly go, oh, oh yeah, is so much better. And mm-hmm. and that's the crazy thing. And it is, and and uh, the doctors who were looking after you, they were doing their best. They were they were they saw that you were in pain, and they they linked your pain to the pain in your in after the the surgery or. Uh, they linked the the need for medications to your to the seizures. So all of these things, it's very understandable that mm-hmm. doctors try to help. That's what we do. That's right. what we do. I want to make people feel better. I want to make people right. better. So uh, that's what doctors do. But the problem is that, of, of course, if you we listen to you as a patient. And therefore, mm-hmm. if you tell us it hurts and it hurts there, not right. telling me that it really hurts there because you don't right. have the insight, then right. exactly. uh, well, that's the other thing. Like all the years, there was like all sorts of issues. Like, and and it's it's like one of my favorite books is "The Body Keeps the Score," which is um, you know all about basically how the body holds and experiences and manifests trauma in a physical way when we don't deal with it, you know, the pain, the emotional pain that it causes. So there was always something going on with me, Mm. you know, and, and that, you know, people, Oh, there she is attention. And it's like, Mm. no, it's like my body's just keeping it. It's funny. Ever since I've worked through a lot of this, I haven't had any pain, nothing, you know, like I'm in really good health. I've, but it sure wasn't because my body was just like, man, you got to work through this. <laughs> and people don't realize. I, I, in the past, I ran a large pain clinic. And as part of the, the intake, I made all my patients fill out questionnaires. And that was a bit of a joke in my industry because my questionnaires were substantial. And <laughs> so the patients had to, to fight uh, to get to see me, so to speak. But one of the questions is, have you been abused in the past? Right. And wow. I had a I had a, a patient coming to me with a, a you know medical notes actually like that, and she yeah. had constant tummy trouble, constant pain in her stomach for twenty years, and she had undergone uh, so many investigations and operations, and nothing was ever found. Right. And she came in with a support person. We said hello, and. Very, very early on in our discussions, she said, I just want to stop here for a moment and I want to thank you because no one has ever asked me if I was abused. Yes. No doctor, after many dozens of doctors I've seen and specialists, no one has uh-huh. ever asked that. And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that you said it, but tell me a bit more. Right. And it turned out that her young husband basically was physically very dominant and violent and right. had made it a point of kneeing her into the stomach during their fights, during their things, because he knew there would be very little uh, evidence left. So wow. here was this whole story that the moment we put the torchlight onto that, that fact, right. her, medical, her medical journey stopped. Her yeah. pain 
got much better down the line mm. because she actually didn't didn't need my medications. She needed to to explore that trauma. Yeah. And but I will never forget that. Thank wow. you, Doctor. You're the, the only one in twenty years of of searching. Yeah, I don't reasons. think I've ever had a doctor ask me that question. And ever. That's incredible that you that you had the the, the, the insight to know uh, how important a question like that is. Yeah. And maybe, and yeah, true. And maybe I had the training and maybe I was interested, but maybe also maybe there were things in my past that I didn't realize right. that needed to be healed. Again, yeah. I was in my job, I was very good in picking those things up in anyone else. When yes. I looked into the mirror. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I'm all good. I'm all good. No, no, thank you very much. Depression, me, no. PTSD, what are you talking about? <laughs> okay, so, hmm. But again, I guess I, I didn't want to distract from your story, but I want to, I want to add no, to your story, story. How, how, how important that is and that uh, there is a, a saying, the issues lie in the tissues. And so, therefore, oh, why not? Why not? And it's just a paraphrasing of what you have described Right. We need to, to ask us so many questions. And as doctors, we're under such a production pressure. You come in, you've got a pain. Okay, let's look at why you've got the pain. Oh, mm -hmm. there's a reason. There you go. Take the tablet. Um, right. And that is, that is, that is normal. That is, there is in our, in the Western medical systems, um, it is, yeah. I mean, if, if at that time, if someone had said to you, Hmm. The tablets, they're quite nice, but I want you to see a psychologist. How would you have responded? Well, the funny thing was, like, I was, I had been in therapy since I was probably like 15, 14 or 15. Ah, uh -huh. And I, you know, it, I, I'm, I'm trying, like, we actually even went as a family. Um, but you know, my dad would literally do like the exact opposite with what the therapist would tell us to do, you know? And so, you know, but I, I, it was funny because it was actually my neurologist who suggested that I see a neuropsychiatrist. And I, you know, I didn't, I mean, I didn't know anything. I mean, I was in such a fog at that time that it, I never knew like, oh, neuropsychiatrist that's you know like and he was the one that put me on clonopin um gosh this was oh, I, don't know, like, I mean probably early 90s maybe um so it was like 10 years or more before I even went in recovery but I didn't know like I didn't realize that like Xanax was a benzodiazepine and and it could be addictive and clonopin like I never knew I just went okay you, you know, I just figured it was like an aspirin. You take it when you need it. And that's that. Um, but unfortunately, you know, what happened was the pain, the issues, you know, were, were just, you know, the, the doses had to be increased. Mm -hmm. They had, you know, and, and then it was something else had to be added. And, and after a while, <laughs> nothing really did the trick. In fact, I was on Clonopin and Xanax and all the other drugs when I tried to kill myself. I mean, the pain just got so bad, there was nothing that could take care of it. Was at that time, did you have already the realization what the cause of the pain was? You felt the pain no. and the pain was tremendous. I, 
Yeah. I mean, I, I got after, when I got pregnant, my parents were you know, good Catholics. So you had to get married because you couldn't have right. That made everything better. I mean, Oh my God, like what the hell? Anyway. So I married, you know, this, and he was my boyfriend at the time, but he was, he was um, a sociopath, like narcissistic sociopath, horrible abusive, you know? Um, and so for me, I thought that a lot of the issues I was having were related to that. So I had, I had basically attributed all any issue that I had to that relationship and, and how awful that was. Hmm. Um, it didn't, you know, it never really occurred to me that like I had had so many issues all the years prior to even meeting this person. Um, but I, so I attributed all of that to, to that relationship. And so when I, when my, um, when I ended up in the hospital, um, in the psych ward again, cause I had been there several other times before, but I was down in Florida now. That was the first time I was actually diagnosed with PTSD. And I was actually relieved because I felt like somebody finally could put a name on something, you know, and I just kept saying to the doctors, like, I don't want like, I just want to get better. Like, yeah. I just want to get better. Like, but nobody's, you know, I end up in the psych ward and it, nobody helps me and they put you on suicide watch and you just like stay there. And it was like, you guys know how awful I feel. Is this it? You just keep me for three days and like, yeah. goodbye. Yeah. So when I was diagnosed, um, you know, I, they gave me the name of a really good trauma informed, like, um, therapist um and she i started to work with her and um she was really really helpful beautiful you know beautiful. she understood that like ptsd in the time i don't even know if complex ptsd was actually huh. a thing because this was like 2003 but she understood that this like the ptsd was not just like an, one event that happened, it was a, you know, complex PTSD is chronic complex PTSD. Your sense of self is, is just gone. You're, you know, you're, it isn't just that you're hypervigilant. It's your entire system is always on hypervigilance. Your sense of self is completely gone. Um, you know, your lack of trust, security, connection, ability to do anything other than survive is pretty much nil. You've beautifully, beautifully described it there. Because that is, uh, that is something that many people misunderstand. PTSD, uh, you must see your friend being blown up with right. pieces of blood on your face. Right. And if that doesn't happen, uh, then no, you can't have PTSD. Right. And that is a very simplistic and, 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 and strange thought. But it's understandable with, with Hollywood and, and with those kind right. of influences right. there. In reality, you're so right. It is many of us have lived lives where there was a great deal of uncertainty and a great deal of of things happening that actually your body interpreted as a threat to its life, yeah. uh, as a constant threat. And and <clears throat> no surprise that there are the flow on effects of that, the dissociation, the trying to to pretend I'm not there. And, uh, right. uh, plus all the somatization. So other yeah. som soma means body. Somatization means that you internalize and literally um, that your body comes out with symptoms of your psych psychological pain um, yeah. in 
in often headaches, in mm -hmm. uh, tummy pains uh, for the women, in, in yeah, the, in in uh, gyne in gynecological pains. Yes, right. Uh, exactly. So this, these are all classical things, and this is something that a good uh, family physician, a good GP, will look at. And again, mm -hmm. there is there is that uh, that there's my plea to all of my my listeners please make a good relationship uh, create a good relationship with a with one doctor who gets to know you and who knows you at your good times and also sees you at your bad times who knows your story honestly so that when yeah. you finally come to a realization which inevitably happens in our lives that there mm -hmm. are, that are, that there's shit has happened and you need to deal with it then at least you're not starting from scratch, but you can yeah. actually say, hey, you know, all my medical history and now I've just had that realization here that has happened in the past. And then suddenly his lights might go up and say, ah, that's yeah. actually what happened with me with my doctor in Florida. Uh, I had I mean, he saw me at my worst and yeah. and I went to him and told him everything. And he became one of my biggest supporters. I mean, he used to like you know, bring other women in when I would come Beautiful. in and go, come and meet Gina. Like, oh my God, like you, she turned her life around and you need to do her. Ha, 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 you know? ha, ha, but Dr. Pinsky was like, I mean, he was like an angel. I mean, he just was supportive. He cared. He, uh, he, I mean, I, I hated, it was one of the hardest things I had to do when we moved out of Florida to yeah. lose him as my doctor. I, I, I just loved him. So I oh. think that's a really, and, and I would say shop around because yeah. I've had to do that even up here, you know, yeah. because it's, it's, you really do need to, you just, first of all, you deserve to have somebody in charge of your medical, you know, your, all your medical issues who can truly understand your whole self. Absolutely. Oh, that's beautiful to say that. I'm so uh, I get a warmth <laughs> coming over me there because that is that is the ideal. And why do I know that? Because I didn't have a GP for the better part of my life. I thought I know it all myself. Hey, I'm a specialist. Ah, oh, I know it all. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bullshit. Oh, oh, oh. And then one of the requirements when I went into rehab, one of the requirements was that you have to have a fixed relationship and you meet with your GP every initially every month, I think, and then every three months really? and then things like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. That is all, it, because it makes sense, especially for a doctor, yeah. because we we are we are smart asses. Most of us, we think we know it all. And then <laughs> at, at our upbringing, our control freak, our, our things mm -hmm. like that. So, oh, please. I mean, recipe we have, for disaster. No. <laughs> yeah, you're talking to one. Yes. Yeah. I, I, you know, I didn't realize you. I didn't realize you were a doctor until we started talking. That's in, that's in, yeah, I mean, that must be, you must have been like GP. Oh, they're like the yeah. bottom of the barrel of the doctors. I mean, come on. Ouch, ouch. But yes, there is that. There is sometimes that that thing. Having said that, uh, to if any GP is listening here, I want to say that I take my hat off to you because uh, you are there and you need to know so much um, and you need to be on guard so much because 98%, 95% of your work is people just 
having mundane kind of things. Yep. But yep. they are the two five percent which uh, go boom if you if you don't know if you if you're if you're not constantly aware. I don't know how you guys do the job. Uh, mm-hmm. I I I adore you, and I have got the best GP, Andrew McManaman. If you listen, okay, I've, <laughs> I've outed you. I've outed you. You're a good man. So, and that's that's what I'm trying to to convey here. Um, and what you are already doing. I mean, I'm jumping a little bit forward, sure. but you have created in your life. You've created a a team of people that were helping you you were open to to therapy which is lovely i'm in new zealand people don't go to therapy it's not or not so common as in the united states okay really so oh, yeah, yeah. there's no there is we have got far more a taboo far more uh, a hesitation there oh, to oh, go to uh, to go to a psychologist that is still oh no they must think me mad kind of a thing and yeah. it is it oh is, that's that, yeah and and that's a constant thing that i try to to break that taboo to actually say guys if 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 you look at ceos of uh, top companies they all have got their coach their performance coach right that's a psychologist for lack of a better word right right. Uh, yeah exactly the same olympic olympicians um and sportsmen they they all will have coaches and performance guys and they all uh surround themselves with with people who know more about the mind the psyche but also the body um and here you are, uh, the, my listener here, and you think, oh, my God, I've got all that pain here, 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 and here. And um, it is, uh, yeah, no, we need help. And we need help much, much earlier than most well, of yeah, us. Yeah, we do so much for our bodies, but like our 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 oh, spirit my. and our mind, need, we're, you know, I always tell people we're body, mind, and spirit. If you're only going to focus on the body, you're still mm. going to be two-thirds messed up. No, you, <laughs> like, oh, I love it. I love it, Gina. I mean, right. I mean, if you think about it, right? Like, you know, you're like walking like this, you know, like, oh, I've got to, you know, but like, I love it. you have to take, you can't just do one piece of you. You are, you, 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 you would run to the doctor if you had a broken leg. You have a broken heart, go to a therapist, you know, go to a good trainer who can help you heal that, you know. Mm. In, you know, in, in as far as your spirit, nurture that relationship with God. But like people just think it's so much easier to. And I do think you're right. Like there's this shame tendency of like, I'm weak. I'm I'm ashamed. I need I don't need help. Like I don't want to be vulnerable because that makes me weak. And, you know, and it, it's almost like a natural kind of selection type thing you know Mm -hmm. like the animals in the wild they you know have a baby the cub that has an issue they will leave it alone because we don't want them you know so but we're not like animals in the wild you know we can nurture each other we deserve to be nurtured and healed and it, it drives me insane like it's one of my biggest pet peeves when I listen to people who are just always focused on their body. Mm. It's like, oh, like I eat well, I do this, you know, I work out, you know, I like detox, I take all these supplements. Well, like, what do you do for your spirit and your mind? Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's like, okay, that's just another trauma issue. Like you're just literally creating, it's a trauma response. You're trying to control your life with these other things. And it's like, Oh yeah, yeah, like oh, but my back still hurts. Well, no, duh. 
I mean, no, no, <laughs> so, so, so true. So true. So true. Um, oh, it's, have, it's like, oh, no, no, no. I just have to like take another bath and have some salts or no, no, no. I'm going to try this new supplement. Excellent. Right. Yeah. Knock your socks off. How exactly. about it? Exactly. Um, I think that we all are like that. And many of us are not ready to hear though, that there might be other things that need to be taken care of rather than a, a physical thing. Uh, for you, it was hidden in the shadows as well mm-hmm. for a long time. What yeah. actually what actually brought out the realization that you need to change your direction? Well, I would say, you know, <laughs> gosh, I mean, my mother in 2003, I tried to like in February, I tried to kill myself and I obviously wasn't successful. Then. <laughs> um, but my mother was dying at the time and died probably 10 days after I tried to kill myself. And it was and that's when I really started like mixing the drugs because there was so much grief. Like it was so awful. It was my first experience like really, you know, and and when, you know, when I realized that my options, like I was honestly brought up as a Catholic to think if you commit suicide, you die and go to hell. So for me, my I, I only reason I made a phone call when I was literally laying in bed with all the pills in my body was because I thought, oh my gosh, I might be on my way to hell. And that's the really big risk to take. And I thought I better call somebody. I didn't think it was going to happen, but I was like, that's still a really big risk. And when I, when I, after that, I realized that for me, my life was only going to be a living hell if I didn't do something different. And so for me, when I started seeing that therapist who was very, you know, she gave me another packet, like you talked about, you know, like, and she was like, you know, I have, I have a waiting list of people. If you don't want to do the work, I'm, I'm telling you, like, I'll cut you out. So I was like, this is different for me. Like she really was, she seemed to know what she was doing. So I was like, tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'll do anything, you know? And, and I, you know, and that's when she suggested that I go inpatient and whatever, but like for me, it was, it, it was the realization of the fact that my life was going to be so awful, like really awful if I didn't try to do something different. And so I just, I mean, my, from that time on, I just was like, I just want to get better. I just want to get better. Like I just want to, you know, and so I, embraced you know when I went started going to AA and you know I was like just tell me what to do and I'll do it because I didn't want my life to be miserable and I was excited that there was an opportunity that it might not be you know so you know I mean I got a sponsor I worked the steps I went to meetings I led meetings you know I did you know I went to therapy two times a week you know anything and everything I could possibly do because to me I just knew that my life was my choice. My cho- I didn't, you know, and I also knew it came down to like do it or die. And I knew dying wasn't an option unless of course, something <laughs> happened to me. So I was like, God, this really, you know, damn it. Like this. Hmm. So that's kind of where my, my, my was just like, I, and, and it was, ex- I think it was very exciting for me that there was hope. And so for me, I really embraced, 
you know, anything and everything that would give me some hope that when, something could be different. When you got admitted, was that an, uh, sort of was an inpatient rehab um, or was it inpatient psych ward? What was that? It was, well, it was, it was an inpatient program for women who've been sexually abused. Beautiful. And so, and then I knew, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I would say sexually abused. Yeah. But it was, um, or abuse, I guess, of any kind, but it, you know, looking back now, it wasn't the best place to go because <laughs> it was only two weeks. Oh my God. But they also wanted me to do outpatient, like intensive outpatient. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't, I, you know, and I and live in a half by house and all this. And I was like, that is not for me. The world works. So to me, everything seemed very permanent. You know what I mean? Like to be in a halfway house meant that was it for me. That was all I was worth. It was so I was like, I'm not doing that. I don't need to do that. And I and I and I literally went back to school that January and got into graduate school and got my graduate degree and um, ended up as a grad research assistant and published a couple of things with some professors and and ended up um, teaching Um, but I, you know, type thing, it was really like a program to help, you know, work through the issues that I had. It's interesting. The, when you were in the, in this inpatient treatment, how did you get into that? Who actually said, I really recommend you, or was it something where they actually said you have to go or how did you know, it, I mean, it was my therapist recommended it early mm -hmm. on. Um, and I kept going, <laughs> I don't need that. Like, huh. no, that's not for me. You know, um, because I had the stigma of like, oh, you know, my brothers, I, I was, my brothers were 19, 15 and 14 when my twin sister and I were born. So they were big hippies. Like we grew up and my parents fought with them about hippies and drugs. So for me, like, I was like, oh, no, no, no. I don't, you know, that's for other people. Like I'm not a drug addict, hippie, like, you know, no. But what happened was when I started mixing the pills and realizing like this was not working, the pain, this was not helping me at all because I literally thought to myself, I'll just start abusing the drugs. What the hell? Like, and, um, and I talked to her about that and I was always very honest and I still am even to this day in therapy. Hmm. Um, but she said, you know, I went to her and I said, um, I think, I think that that program might be something we should talk about. And um, and I wasn't allowed to go there until I had to, it was off all of the medic, all of the benzodiazepines. You couldn't go on those. And I ended up weaning myself off of the Xanax and all the other drugs for like eight weeks or more before I went inpatient. And then when I got there, I was still on the clonopin, which I thought was an anti-seizure medication, but I hadn't had a seizure in like two years. So they were like, uh-uh, uh-uh, you got to go upstairs and detox off the clonopin before you can come here. And I mean, I wanted to run so fast, but I, I did it. It was horrible. It scared the bejesus out of me because I was just a, you know, but I did it. And so that was, that was, yeah. And again, that is, that is very understandable. 
um, clonazepam um, is a drug that helps seizures and works really well for that. Um, at the same token, it is uh, the group of benzodiazepines, which are the, the ones to, to take the anxiety away, but also change the way maybe we lay down memories and we deal with memories. Mm -hmm. So therefore, if you want to do some work on those kind of uh, things and you're still in not a haze, but yes, a psychological haze, so right. to speak, and a bit of altered perception due to a, a very good, valid medication for what you were on, um, right. then uh, it's understandable. And it mm -hmm. just shows how, how complex life is when, yeah. when by the time you seek help. It's not just, oh, let's go in there two weeks and then I'm Oh renewed. my gosh, I was so sure. I was so sure. <laughs> I remember going up to the director and going, I listen, because I had there when I got there, there were other girl women who had been there. Like they were, they would like brag about how many oh, this is my like seventh time being here. And I remember being like, oh my God, like I don't ever want to come back here. I don't, this is so awful. I, and I remember I ran, like I was, when I saw Dr. <laughs> Bill, the director, I like ran up to him and was like, listen, I, I need to talk to you. And I was like, these, they're talking about being here seven times. I don't ever want to come back here. Like, I don't ever, ever, ever want to come back here. Am I going to have to come back here? And he said to me, you're not going to have to come back here. If you want to do, if you do the work, you're not mm -hmm. going to have to come back here. And not everybody wants to do the work or is willing to do the work. And I was like, I'll do it. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'll do anything. Like, but I was so afraid that my <laughs> life was going to be this in and out of like programs and, mm. and, 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 and they were just like, mm, yeah, I've been here five times. And I was just like, Oh my God, I don't even want to be here another day. Like, mm. how could you come? Mm. So, you know, it, it, it's, it was certainly an interesting experience. But then again, it allowed you to be taken out into a more or less protective bubble where yeah. you, you, could focus on your healing and you were not living in the same old same old and now have to heal on top so it is an yeah. inpatient program can be such a oh my a, gosh I was, it was oh i mean i i think i would highly recommend that for and, it, and it, it's not like you know i think i looked at it like my level of crazy was it, my level of crazy was basically determined by the intervention necessary to deal with it. So for me to go inpatient meant you are so crazy that you have to go away. And it was like, oh, no, 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 no. Because my biggest fear for many, 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 many years was that I was just crazy. And when I went, when I went inpatient, one of the first things um, they had us to do was read this article about you know, thinking that you make up your memories and thinking that you're crazy. And I was so relieved. I couldn't oh. believe, you know, because you think you're the only one. It's going on in your head. You're the only one. I mean, I mean, I read that and I was like, oh my God, like they get it. They really understand how I feel here. And I'm not crazy. And and it was such a relief to feel like I'm not crazy. I'm just wounded. <laughs> Oh, what a beautiful, the way you describe it. It's just the same with me. The first day in, in, in rehab, I walked in and there was this big serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And I thought, wow, have they written that just for me? How did they know how <laughs> no. I feel? And it is just, no. what? And it was, it 
Wow, yeah. It's a, it was a huge revelation, a beautiful thing. And to to feel that you are not alone. I think that oh was for God, me the biggest it's thing. Just yeah. such, I, I felt that I think the, like my body must have been like, <sighs> I was so relieved. I was just so relieved that somebody, because, you know, it's really hard when you're in those positions to speak to your family who are most likely part of the abusers. You know, they're just telling you you're nuts, blah, blah, blah. So you mm. just question yourself. So to go somewhere where I felt really safe, seen and supported was, and I think everybody deserves that. I, I know I even have friends who just like still struggle and refuse to like do that. And it's like, oh, like, mm. don't shortchange yourself. It's not a, it, it is not an indication of your level of crazy. It's an indication of your bravery and your desire to do something that's important for yourself. Nobody says, I mean, you got open heart surgery and you're still in the hospital. You are, what's wrong with your body, right? But this is the same thing. You know what I mean? My God, get up and walk. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm sorry, but I just had open heart surgery. Uh, exactly. It's the same thing with this. Like you're going somewhere to heal your broken heart and your soul. And to actually let yourself heal. It is, yeah. it is. You don't go once to the gym and suddenly are magically fit. Okay. So it takes a little while. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's definitely a commitment to a way of living mm. differently, of caring for yourself and knowing that you deserve to be cared for. Indeed. Indeed. Oh, yeah. It's so beautiful to hear your words there. But these words come out of what? 30 years of, of, of trauma. So yeah. the. the quarter of a century and then so oh, yeah so let's yeah. actually be quite clear so you've got a basically a quarter of a century where your body and your mind were suffering and you you came up with some kind of ad hoc oh that feels good oh cool what did i just do oh i made love to this guy brilliant more guys bring the guys on that makes me feel good okay so that's right and that is there was one escape mechanisms many others were there for sure too oh yeah and oh, yeah. That, that's all for us so here you are your body has been conditioned it had those habits deeply ingrained because they they served you at that time uh, they yes. helped you to escape they helped you to to feel what you needed to feel and do you really think that two weeks or four weeks in an inpatient program however perfect the program is do you really think oh, yeah. that that yeah. can compete with quarter of a century of of yeah. habit forming yeah hmm. Hmm. yeah because i went inpatient when i was 37 hmm. yeah i was well was i 37 or 30? But I was in my like mid thirties, earlier mid thirties. So okay. it was a long time of my body and my mind, and my poor broken little spirit. <laughs> you know, so it doesn't. It 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 um it. As much as we wanted to get better yesterday and overnight, it 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 takes time, and it's worth the time that you put into it. I can't imagine my life being any any different today, and I would do it over again because it's. I think too that I really felt felt at the time 
that I was like the, the weirdo of the world, so to speak. And I, I don't know how else to say it, but like the more re- work I've done in my recovery, the more I realized that it was actually more like normal then than I am now. And I'm like the eye opening of like, you know, I mean, I did literally used to go around. I just want to be normal. I just want to be normal. And now I'm like, Oh, mm. Uh, thanks i'll pass on that that's uh there's so much people so many people living in trauma uh, oh my god it's just like like you you must know as a doctor you're like yep you can see it (laughs) i think we need to to normalize trauma because Mm -hmm. we in every single life around this world there will be trauma of different magnitudes right. but then again it doesn't this is not a pissing contest okay it is whatever <laughs> exactly. whatever the trauma is for you it has implications for you um right. so yes your cat has died and you think yeah so what um if that Sad. cat was the only thing that actually kept you sane because there were so many other things happening in your life and that that cat was it i mean this will be a very different implication yes. compared yeah. with 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 you know if you've got a catery and you've got 50 cats um, right well yeah. right and you're like whatever you know mm. but that, that it's, it's true i don't um i think it absolutely needs to be normal you know mm. the stigma of trauma yeah and i and i think the other the message that i always try to tell people is that i think this was something I, I learned over the years obviously but is that just be, being traumatized doesn't really it doesn't mean that you're unlovable mm. it doesn't mean that you're unworthy you know and and for me it was like if i was sexually abused then that meant like what does that mean you know and it was like oh my god i'm my parents didn't love me now who wants to think their parents didn't love them that's a horrible like you know and so i think when when i t- i tell people all the time it's like being traumatized does not have anything to do with your level of ability to love or, or, or be loved, or you're, you know, you are still lovable. You are still worthy. You are still a child of God. That this is something that happened to you for God's sake. They put Jesus on a cross. Like, does that mean all of a sudden like, Oh, he's just a piece of crap. You know, like, you know, (laughs) it's like, it doesn't matter. Like what happens to you is not a determination of your level of worth or lovable, you know, ability to love or be loved. And so that I think was my biggest thing was like, I must be a piece of crap if I was abused. And it's like, no, no, that is nothing to do with you. That is about your abuser. Even my father, when I talked to him before he died about what happened, he said to me, you know, this was never your fault. And I was like, yeah, I, I know that, Daddy, but that didn't wow. change the way my life. But the point is, it is, it's not the abuse is never your fault. Unfortunately, the healing is our responsibility, but the abuse is not your fault. Beautifully said. Be- wow, that that blows me away that your father said that. Yeah, I, I was, I, I, it's funny because my therapist at the time was just like, I wouldn't have that conversation with him. And I knew that he was dying and I knew he was, I mean, he had fallen in like October and this might've been that, that, that early, that winter. Um, but I, I just felt like while he was still 
alive. And he wasn't like dying on his hospital bed when we had this conversation. We were like in his kitchen, you know, and he was walking around and he was, you know, when we sat down and he, but I, part of me really wanted to know that this was the truth of what happened because I, I, it was still so incredibly like the fact that it happened, the fact that it happened to me, the fact that, it, that I couldn't remember it, the fact that it impacted my life so much. Mm. I really wanted to like hear from him, like this really happened, you know? And when, you know, he said that it was very helpful. And I actually said it, I had them to talk with him because I knew he was dying. I knew he was probably, he was like 97, he had fallen. It just seemed to me like something. And I wanted to be able to be, to say to myself, I had this conversation with him before, while I could still have it. And I was very concerned that he was, I knew he was always afraid of dying. And I knew that if this had happened, and I wanted confirmation of it, so to speak, which I already kind of knew, but it just would help. I wanted, didn't want him to, to be dying and afraid that he was going to die and go to hell. Because I knew as a strong Catholic, he was probably feeling deathly afraid, knowing what he did. And so I wanted him to know that I forgave him. And that if I could forgive him, that God could forgive him if he would say he was sorry. Why did you forgive him? You know, I I think part of why I why I forgave him at the time was probably because I really felt like I mean it wasn't like I forgave him and then jumped back into his arms of like now let's be best friends, you know what I mean? But I felt like you know, I, I, I knew what he was, I knew what his experience of dying must be like. And I really felt like it was scary for me too, because I just, I know what, when I was laying there after taking a bottle of pills, thinking I'm going to die and go to hell, how frightening that is. And I really didn't want him to be afraid. And I wanted him to know that I could forgive him. I didn't mean that I wasn't angry anymore. It didn't mean that I wasn't upset. It didn't mean that I wasn't hurt. Hmm. Um, but I had also learned that, you know, abusers are usually abused, you know, and I knew that most likely he had been abused growing up. Something must have happened to him, um, you know, and it didn't, I'm not excusing him, you know, like, believe me, an explanation is not an excuse. You know, there's two different things, but it was important for me to be able to have that. And I think too, just the, the other thing really, Stefan, is that at the time, I think I really wanted a connection with my dad. Like I had had a close connection to an extent, but I think it was, a. it might've even been a bit of a like, weird trauma response of sorts of like, daddy, please love me. Do you know? I don't know, but it was, it's a complicated answer. Mm, absolutely. But I'm so pleased what, what you said there, because it is, um, it is, that is the question, you know, how do you deal with that? And you go through such waves of, um, extremes. You, you think, mm. oh no, he's the worst possible thing and then the on the other side you certainly have got a realization well probably he was abused and then you try to imagine his childhood and 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 suddenly you think hmm now i can understand it and you go to the extreme of oh no it's it's all good and 
the truth is, is somewhere in the middle and it's such a complex issue. I mean, there is this- And he was dying at the time too. No. So I know like that um, it, it, it was a different, you know, it wasn't like I was 20 and he was 50 and, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if, if that had been the time, the, the, the age of what we're at the time of what we were just dealing with, mm. that I would have been able to be like, oh, I'm going to be like, have this happy, loving relationship with this. You know what I mean? But it, I think that also played a big role in like why I did what I did when I did. But I did it because I wanted to be able to say that I had a conversation. Mm. I wanted to be able to say I tried. Um, and it meant, you know, it was important to me. That's so beautiful because that's the other aspect to it, that you come to terms with whatever has happened to you. Um, it the past does not equal the future, right? And this was clearly trauma of the past, and it is such a beautiful thing if you can bring closure to it, because mm -hmm. it has happened. You can't talk it away. You can't can't wish it away. Right. It has happened. So. The, it's the question, how can you deal with it? And can you stop the spiral of new things coming out of, or negative things right. morphing out of that previous trauma? And right. can you actually put that baby to bed and actually now say, okay, enough is enough. Right. Who is the new me? It's, yes, there is all this, this trauma in my past and it doesn't define me, but... I take it as a as a catalyst. I take it as a as something right. that pushes me forward, as something that I now go out and maybe like you go out and help others to understand. You make sense right. of your trauma, you move on, you are you are uh creating a new you, however yes, that new yeah. you looks like, yeah. uh, and you're an improved version. And that is so beautiful. I mean, that is the, the secret to success in recovery, that we accept, okay, that the past is the past. And right. maybe you have done awful things, or maybe you were the victim of awful things, or both. Right. And, right. okay, so now it's time to, to take a hard look at that, deal with what you can, and then say, okay, this was the past. I think I've right. dealt with that. And now let's create a future that is better and that maybe where I can implement the lessons that I've learned right. and help others to mm -hmm. to live a life where it's less likely that the same trauma will happen to them. Right. I think that is that is how I see my story. That's virtually mm -hmm. how I hear every story of, of those beautiful people that come onto my show. There, we are all wounded animals who have licked our wounds at one yes. one time or the other, and who are now those people who are now coming on my show. They are they are determined to make a sense out of their suffering and and assure yes. that others others don't others don't suffer as long. We all do suffer, but right. maybe we can we can jumpstart you. Maybe we can actually plant that seed into you, and you right. actually realize shit time for me to go on to that journey yes so. yeah oh gina i'm i'm so pleased of 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 you sharing all this um i'm so honored and humbled because this is in the past you would have you would have hidden 
somewhere. Oh my gosh, I did. I, 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 yeah, I, I don't know if you can see this picture behind me, but that, that is a, I can't draw. I mean, I really can't draw. I can sing really well, but I can't draw. So this, I drew this a couple of years ago. This was several years ago. And I wrote a big, big outline of me and I put all the things that I was hiding that I felt ashamed of still like all that. I mean, you know, sleeping around, you know, being told I was unfit when I was a teacher, you know, you, I mean, anything and everything, the beliefs I had about myself and I decided to like color it in. And when I colored around the circles of all the things I wrote, I kind of stepped back and I was like, well, look at how that shaped who I am. And I, and I think, what did I write on the top? I said, I am okay with all of me. My scars helped create who I am. Perfect. And, and so I, it was a really great way for me to feel like I, I, and, and the thing too, that I started realizing is that there's nothing up there that other people don't already feel or haven't already done, you know, like I'm not alone in that. Like, mm. and, and, and it was like, all of a sudden my, my scars weren't something to be ashamed of, but something to be proud of that. Like I overcame yeah. and was able to recognize, Oh, I'm doing this or I'm doing that. And I don't have to, you know? Mm. Um, and, and I think that's the other thing in recovery that's so important is to be able to, be humble enough to say, yeah, I did this or I said that, and I don't know anything different, but I know that this wasn't helpful. And so I want to learn something different mm. because for so long, I was so defensive, you know, no, 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 no. I, everything was like, I was sexually abused. I'm a victim. No, no, no. You don't know. Like I can do whatever I want. Like you don't understand. Like I get to do what I want because I'm like this victim. And like I really believed that. You know, I just thought I can do anything because like I am. You know, the worst thing happened to me in the world. So you just leave me alone and let me like be. You know. And then I went to the place of like, oh no, 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 no. I'm a survivor. And like everything was about. Oh, now I'm a sexual abuse survivor. And like everything was about being a survivor. And and my therapist said to me. Do you know, like everything you talk about is related to your abuse? And I was like, really? And she's like, isn't there more to you than that? And I was like, yeah. And I mean, I went home and I created this little outline. It was like, you know, all these different parts of me. I'm not just a sexual abuse survivor. I'm not just a mother. I'm not just a wife. I'm not just a victim, you know, and, and there was, and it, it all of a sudden kind of came together. It was like, this is a part of me. And that is so beautiful. I mean, oh, that is like, like, oh, look at who I am. I'm pretty cool. <laughs> and what a beautiful realization it is. What a beautiful, beautiful feeling. And that's exactly how I feel. That's it's exactly how yeah. many other others feel. And guys out there, if you listen to that and you think, how the hell could that possibly happen with taking one tiny little step in the right direction? Yeah. And then following through and doing another little tiny step. This is not yeah. a quick fix, but there is whatever has occurred to you, then I, I can assure you there is a different life waiting for you if you're mm -hmm. happy to work at it and, Absolutely. and start building. You know, I mean, if you if you create a new life, that's like building a house you need to to put some decent foundations down and then you take some time you just don't look away and look back oh there's my house <laughs> so, no, no that takes a few months to actually build a house oh, yeah. okay it takes planning so, and get all that very intentional indeed. yeah absolutely and it's the same with your recovery it's the same with your with your happiness with the same with you finding love with the most 
important person in the whole game, which yes. is you, to actually learn to love yourself, warts and all, scars and all, is is the the key to everything. And it took me forty five years at least forty seven probably until I started the journey, and. Um, <laughs> There's so much still. There's, my journey is ongoing. I, I always think, oh, no, I've got this whole under, you know, and that's how I felt when I started having the flashbacks of being sexually abused because I had like, I guess it was like 10, like I had probably seven years of recovery under my belt. Mm. And I was like, no, man, like I got, you know, and I was like, what the hell? Like, you're not, this isn't supposed to happen. Like the worst has already happened. Like, I mean, I was like, I have to do this all over. Are you Uh, freaking kidding me? Like this sucks. Like this is horrible. And I, and I think, you know, the other thing, Stefan, that I I like to tell people is that you, you, you can love yourself and still not like certain things about yourself. Like, <laughs> because I, I had this thing of like, like, oh no, 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 no. I love myself. I'm so like, I love myself. You know, it's like everything about me I love. And then I realized, well, no, no, wait a minute. Like I love my husband, but I don't like everything about him. You know, there are things I don't like, you know, things to get on my nerves, but it's like, it, it, I can still love myself and not like, well, okay. Like maybe I don't really like the way my face looks or something, or maybe my hair is a mess. But it doesn't mean that I still don't, I can't still love myself. And I think there's a big distinction between like, you know, loving somebody doesn't necessarily mean you like everything about them. You know what I mean? So (laughs) it's just like learning that like it's a gray area. You know what I mean? Like just, you know, finding the, the middle ground, so to speak, of loving yourself and realizing that. I mean, that was one of the big things for me because I didn't want to like join a gym and I didn't want to do those. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, no, does this mean that I don't love myself? And my therapist was like, but I mean, it's okay if you don't like certain things about yourself. And I was like, no way, really? Oh, okay. So I don't really like this, but I can still love myself and go. And so it's like, it, it because I have these high expectations of myself having all these years in recovery of like, no, 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 no. Now that I'm like 18 years in recovery, I should be like, you know, waking up in my morning and my like using my bamboo straw and like getting my organic tea out of my backyard that I grow and like hypersonic, <laughs> hydrolonic, you know, and then I like wear my fair trade clothes and I, yeah. you know what I mean? And it's like, no, like I can't no, live like that. Like no, these no. expectations I have for myself are unrealistic. You know, I can do what I can, but I literally have these like, oh no, 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 no. If I'm really like in recovery, like I should be living like this. Like nobody lives lives like that. And if you do, I don't care what you say, you're a control freak about yep. something. Correct. Correct. And that's okay. And it just shows that there are constant realizations where we have gone off that path and right. where where yeah it is a very meandering path the, the path to happiness and it is <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it goes in loops oh, <laughs> yeah. no, no, that's a good point it does totally go i'm like no wait a minute I, <laughs> yeah, exactly I, Hang I, on. I think i've been here before i know it's very familiar i know isn't it and that's good. That's okay too, because obviously yeah. you need it. I, at to... least I can realize it now, that's... right? You know what I mean? Like before, I used to just go around and around mm. and around and blame everybody else. Go, exactly. What are you doing here? Mm. 
I did I did my rehab and I dealt with my alcoholism uh, and my way of trying to escape my reality. I started to learn about my emotions. That was all pretty. It took me another five, six years down the line until I finally realized that I had a good bout of PTSD. Not bout. Mm-hmm. I had a life of PTSD. Right. And that many of my actions and many of my, my core beliefs were essentially signs and symptoms of uh, PTSD. Yeah. And you think, ha, huh. and that was now two, three years ago. And and I was there and thought, you're kidding me. And <laughs> it was, you know, oh, but it is good. And to a certain yeah. degree, I got to have that realization. And I got to reevaluate my life now with a new set of glasses with a bit of yeah. sharper, sharper yeah. deop trees in there. I think, ah, okay. Um, so this is actually... Whilst I was initially a bit, huh? I was, uh, now I see it as a positive thing. And to a certain degree, to a certain degree, I'm actually looking forward to the next realization because yeah. it only yeah. means that I've got a new opportunity to grow, a new opportunity right. to, to change myself towards a, uh, something that is more valid in my current belief system, more, mm-hmm. more, more beautiful, more, more ah i i want to grow i want to learn mm-hmm. i want to be i every day where i don't learn is a wasted day for me mm-hmm. so therefore this is a beautiful journey and you are on it i mean you have you are exploring and and living it and 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 you're going out there and i think with every every client you see with every person you help i think there will be realizations that you get back so it's uh, sometimes yeah, I know the, it's, it's somebody said to me once we teach what we need to know or something like that. Uh, you know? Oh, that's interesting. Isn't it's, it? It's, yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, you think, you know, it all. No, no. And I really used to think that all my teachers had it all together. Mm. Like that They didn't. And one of the, when I realized, Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> like nobody, nobody ever like has it all together. Like I may know how to implement something that you don't know, but it doesn't mean that I always like use the tool. And I'm always like, like I said, you know, I'm not going to get up and drink out of my bamboo straw and go in my organic or like, I'm not, I mean, you know, it doesn't mean I'm no good. It just means I've been like my, my expectations for myself have become much more realistic and I can be okay with that. Gina, you're an amazing woman and there's some amazing insights there. There's no two ways around that. Look, if if people really like what they heard from you and and loved your your style of 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 honesty, which is gorgeous, um, how can they get hold of you? How can they find you? They can find me by going to my website, um, GinaRolkowski dot com. Um, that's R O L K O W S K I, and it's Gina G I N A. Um, they can find me there. You can also find me on Instagram or Pinterest, and I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, so you can find me in any of those places as well. Cool. Have a look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast. And I've got everything down there so you can easily just copy and paste or click onto it. Gina, thank you so much for your time. This was a, this was a, a wonderful, uh, awe-inspiring. Uh, and it was an interview that made me think. And that made me realize things, and and for that I'm grateful, uh, because oh, you, you 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 just paraphrase certain things, and I suddenly thought, 
Huh, okay. And these, these are the most beautiful interviews when I go away. Huh, okay, I've learned something. I've learned something about myself, about a feeling in me, about uh, how I responded emotionally to what you said. Uh, okay, okay. So, no, brilliant. And I hope so many. Thank you so much for having me. It was oh. so great to connect with you. <laughs> and likewise. And I think this will not be the last time that we work together. Let's oh, see what we wonderful. can do. Let's see what we can do to make this world a little bit better, one interview yes. at a time. Yes. And, and so, hopefully, for you out there, guys, go out there, live your day to the fullest. Ah, use every second, and because you've got the choice to do in to to make in that second, um, either you're working towards recovery, towards a better life, or you're working towards relapse or towards yeah, you know, reinforcing maybe things that don't suit you so well. So it's your choice. You've got right now a choice to. For example, press that subscribe button down there. Now yes. that's a damn good choice. That's Another a choice. choice. <laughs> exactly. Choice. Exactly. I'm gonna say yes to that. <laughs> or you might even choose to actually go out to friends and say, "Hey, this this dude is not bad. His show, and there might be actually something you can learn." So tell your friends about it because uh, there's there's. Oh, like today, Gina, she is gorgeous. And I'm, I was very, very, very grateful to have her on my show. No two ways around it. Okay. Gina, thank you so much. Thank and you, you so much. And you guys out there, look after yourself. Bye. <laughs>